Okay, if you have a Bible, John chapter 4, John chapter 4, I'll be explaining everything here in a minute, so that you know this will be, no, uh, no sermon rules apply for this, meaning that, you know, if you've, you've been listening to me for any length of time, you know how I feel about the sermon structure that's used in 99% of churches, I believe that structure needs to be burned to the ground, it needs to be destroyed. It needs to be thrown out because um, I believe sermons have a tendency to get in the way. It, 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 almost, it almost takes the place of the text. Everyone thinks that you're getting the text because it sounds like you're getting the text. The text is read. The text is talked about. But a pastor has written a sermon. And so now that sermon is imposed upon the text. Even though you want to believe that it's actually coming from the text, in many cases I believe it's being imposed on the text. And so what I've tried to do more and more so more over the years is try to take that whole sermon structure and throw it into the trash and say, no, we're going to focus on the text. And then we're going to go through the text and then see what actually arises from the text. And I do that by taking you through the text with me, making you just as much of as the process. In other words, I don't like you sitting there as just passive listener, but an active participant in the whole concept. And I've taken that concept, to, that's why we do for the podcast, the Bible study exercise, I've brought that same concept there. I don't want someone as a passive listener, I want some actively participating. So whatever text we're looking at, I like us to all walk into the text together, and then, and then when we're done, hopefully when we come out, we hopefully, in theory, in theory, we should all do what? We should have all seen the same thing in theory, but sadly, even when you throw out the sermon, in fact, in some ways, it would be easier for me just to do what? Hey, just sit there, be quiet, and listen to me. Here's the way it is. Don't argue. Right? That would probably make my life easier. I mean, people still get mad and they're still going to leave, but that's irrelevant. But at least there would not be any struggle, right? But I I don't like that concept. I'm like, let's jump into the text together and figure it out. So I, I don't like just, here's the three points. I like to say, let's struggle through it. Because I think at least, it, no matter what you think about me, you have to at least hopefully walk away going, man, we, we dug into that text. So that's what we're doing. So if you haven't been paying attention, uh, for the Bible study exercise for the next six to seven weeks, we're, doing, we're studying a number of passages in the Gospel of John. We started the Bible study exercise, which typically is supposed to start today. I started it early. In fact, I think this is like part four now. I think this is part four. So I've already done three hours plus on the subject, even before I got here today. So we're, we're way ahead of schedule. But we are in John chapter four for the next week. And then next week we'll be in another passage in John. So for the next six or seven weeks, we'll be in the Gospel of John working on individual passages. Typically for the Bible study exercise, I give every, everyone online a big assignment, either the uh, topical method or the thematic method or the word study method, uh, and then they do all the work and then everybody sends me all their work. This time I decided not to do that, so we're just working on the individual chapter with no big Bible study method attached, and then just see if we can work through the text. So, we're in John 4, so what we're going to do, I'm gonna, I can't go back and review all the four hours I've already, or three hours I've already worked on all of this, but I'm going to try to get us on the same page, and then we're going to be working through it. So, 
You'll need Bible dictionaries today. So if you don't have one, please let me know. I've got a bunch of them up here. A bunch. So does anyone need one? Does anyone need one? Raise your hand. All right, good. Here we go. That was simple. There's one. Anybody else need one? They're all over the place. Anybody need one? There we go. There's one. Okay. All right. Anybody else need one? Need one, Eli? $50. Okay, well, wow, look at that. Okay, do you want one? Only 40 for you. Okay, all right. See, I was giving you a $10 discount because the 50 wasn't working. Okay, everybody good? All right, all right. And for those listening online, I don't charge money for the dictionaries. Okay, Someone will email me, how dare you? Now, I'm joking, people. I'm joking. Okay. All right. So, everybody ready? John 4, here we go. Let's jump in. All right. I'm going to start, I'm going to just read through this the first time. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to point out, and I've already done this online, pointed out um, what everyone should be focusing on for the next week. But here we go. Uh, John chapter 4, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Now, let's stop right here. This is very important. Because we're getting ready to read a verse that every pastor that I've ever heard preaches on this passage approaches it in a very specific way. And I question the way they approach it. And I question the way they approach it because I believe verse 1, for some weird reason, gets quickly overlooked. So in John chapter 4 verse 1, this is where you get to participate. How would you understand what is happening in John chapter 4 verse 1? What do you perceive happening here? Okay. Okay, uh, Stephen just said a challenge to the popularity, but go ahead and explain. I was just going to jump on that and go, this is what Stephen means, but I don't want to do that. Okay. Or they will at least be concerned, right? Because they see that Jesus is making more disciples and baptizing more people than who was? John the Baptist, right? And they, and they were already curious about John the Baptist, right? How do we know they were curious about John the Baptist? Well, I understand here, I'm saying in previous passages, how do we know the Pharisees were somewhat interested in what was going on? Okay, find me the passage that talks about that they came out to see what was going on. Okay, go find, go find it. Obviously, it's in the early chapters of either John or Matthew or Luke. Find me the passage where he, John seems to say, hey guys, you came out here for a reason because they came to see what was going on, right? Luke 3, what verse? Okay, there we go. Well, that at least gives us a clue. There, were, there that even adds more to it, right? 
They were sent to question because of what was happening. They were going to, what's going on? And I think we have other passages, maybe check Matthew. I think that John addresses them as like, you came out here to see you, because they were, they were like, they were curious or they were, they were questioning, they were worried, they were concerned. Why would the Pharisees be worried or concerned? Oh, you said yes? Matthew 3? It says, uh, what verse? Matthew 3, 7. All right, but they came out to see what was going on, and he addresses them, right? Why are you here? Are you here because you're trying to get away from sin? Or why are judgment? Why are you here? So clearly, something is happening, and they're curious. And, and you know, and I, I kind of was asking the question, I cut myself off. Why would the Pharisees be concerned? They're the religious leaders. If John is out baptizing people, that is a significant thing because in that culture, who was typically, if someone was going to be baptized, it was typically a Gentile who was converting to Judaism and he's baptizing. So there's lots of questions going on. So they're a little concerned. And now John 4.1 seems to indicate what? Something is happening, right? Now a new person is on the scene. Who is the new person? Jesus. And he's, he seems to be growing with more disciples and more baptisms than John. If they were concerned about John, there would be even double concern about Jesus if he has more. I think that's important. I think that's significant to this story that for some reason everybody overlooks. Now, as soon as it expresses that they, that it seems to indicate that there may be a concern here, and if there's a concern, what could this lead to? Confrontation. And what could confrontation lead to with the Pharisees? A, a possible Jesus finding himself in some kind of major difficulty. And this is still very early on in his ministry. Jesus is, obviously, there's got to be a specific time that he wants to have this issue, right? Because we know ultimately where the conflict with the Pharisees lead, his death, all right? So clearly, so immediately, what, what, what does the text say? After verse 1? Okay, he baptized, no, I'm sorry, verse 3, I'm sorry. He leaves. He leaves the area. Now, why does he leave the area? Is it possible, plausible? that he was leaving because of the possible conflict developing with the Pharisees. He's like, okay, I've got to leave now. And he's, gonna, he's going from Judea back to Galilee. But then what does the next verse say? He must needs go through Samaria. Now, for, in my notebook, you can, you can read it. It costs $50 to look at it. I wrote down, must needs, must needs. You know why I wrote that down? Because in my Christian life, I've heard now 57 billion, that's a little hyperbole, 57 billion sermons on John chapter 4, where the preacher comes along and says, he must needs go through Samaria. Because it was a divine appointment for him to talk to a woman at a well. 
This shows Jesus' desire for evangelism. He was following the will of his Father. And you must needs go to your Samaria and witness to people. And everybody's like, amen, that was a good sermon, Pastor. And nobody's ever heard a sermon like that? About a bazillion times. I am calling that whole thing into question. And I know I'm not supposed to do that. But remember, what did I just start off with? We're throwing out the sermon structure. See, a sermon structure would impose that on the text. Why would you impose that on the text? Because does that not preach good? He must needs. Now, let's just think about this logically. If you say he must needs, then you're saying that, okay, he must needs, meaning he had a divine appointment. He had to go there because it was the will of the Father and this was ordained before the foundations for him to go there. But wasn't that be true of every place he ever went? So why all of a sudden in this text, he must needs. Preachers latch onto that because it preaches good. But I would be thinking, well, wait a minute. Didn't he must needs go everywhere he goes? So that, that doesn't seem to fit to me. Now, I'll, let's give you an, I'll give you an example of how all the commentaries handle it. You know how they're going to handle it, right? Come on. How do you think they're going to handle it? I've already told you. How do you think they're going to handle it? There's a divine appointment concept. Okay? I, I, that, that's the, I'm giving you the answer, and now all you have to do is repeat it back. Okay, right? So, all right, here we go. All right, now, I'm going to start with uh, just a couple of here. Because, I mean, we, I've got like... 20 commentaries here, but, I, but it's just hilarious. All right, here we go. He must needs go through Samaria. Following the shortest and most usual road, and the one we find him taking from Galilee to Jerusalem, uh, and it says, uh, Josephus spoke of this as the customary way of the Galileans going up during the feast at Jerusalem. In other words, that the, it, the shortest way to go would be to go right through Samaria. That'd be the shortest way. And that many of the Galileans, this is the typical way they would go. It just makes sense. This is the way to go. So, in other words, to say must, needs, well, this is typically the way they would go because it's the straight line. Basically, it's like a straight line. But wait a minute. There's something about this area, is there not? Because he must needs go through Samaria. Look what this commentary says. You ready? The Pharisees indeed took the longer road through Peraria to avoid contact with the people and the country of Samaria. Now, I I wonder, now, does does that kind of make sense? Wait a minute. Jesus must needs go through here where the... The Pharisees would go out of their way. I think it's called Peraria. I think it's uh, Peraria is how it's pronounced. They would go around and go there instead of taking the direct route. Why? Because for them to go into Samaria, they could come in contact with the Samaritans. They would come in contact with the country and they viewed it all as being unclean. Very good. Now, wait a minute. If he is having... If he's worried that the Pharisees are maybe upset, he's trying to avoid conflict, what would be a great way to go to get away from the Pharisees? What? He must needs, because he would get away from whom? 
Pharisees aren't following. Pharisees are like, oh, well, well we're not going there. We're not, go we're not going there. Right? Like, if you want to get away from your kids, come to church. Right? Okay, I'm, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking, right? But you get the idea, right? Right? If you're in high school and you want to get away from all the other kids, go to the library. Right? They, they get scared because there's books and they're like, oh my goodness, what is that? Okay. Can't get near that. You get the idea? I, I'm, just, I'm just throwing it out there. But clearly everyone acknowledges the straight way to go is this way. And that's where typically the Galileans went anyway. So there wouldn't have been really anything unique about going that way. But the Pharisees would be like, not going in there. So either it was, a, it was either a unique thing for Jesus to go, or it was not a unique thing to go. And, and, and so, well, let's just continue reading there. So they quote this. It was necessary that he should go to teach in Samaria. As in Judea, the principles of true religion and worship, which would cut away the foundation of all local jealousies and feuds and establish for all nations the spiritual service of the universal father. So they do acknowledge that this is kind of the typical way to go. They do acknowledge that the Pharisees would not go, but yet they then turn around and immediately go, oh, but there was a spiritual reason. We got to make this really spiritual because we got to preach a sermon. Let's look at uh, some other, right? Here we go, another commentary. From the geographical position, and hence the usual way for Galilean travelers lay through Samaria. And uh, Josephus seems to confirm this. Both commentaries refer that Josephus is like, this is the way the Galileans went. There was nothing unusual about it. So then... If there's nothing unusual about it, then what's the must needs? Because this is the way he would have went anyway. So that doesn't seem to make sense. So you say, well, it was a divine appointment. Well, everywhere Jesus went, you could put what? He must needs. He must needs. So what? to me, the only thing that makes sense, he must needs why? He was trying to get away from whom? That's at least my thought. That's at least my thought. He says, and, and Josephus said, this is the typical way to go, unless one chose to pass through Perea, I think, Perea, I think if I said, I may have said it differently, now I actually see the word, Perea, to avoid the hated land which Jesus has at present no occasion to do. So in other words, typically the only reason people wouldn't go through this direction and they would go through Perea was to do what? To avoid the land. And who would do that? The Pharisees. How does the text begin? With Pharisees seemingly to have a possible problem. Isn't it interesting when you look at the text and not the sermon, how you may see things completely different? Another commentary. He must needs go through Samaria. The road from Judea to Galilee lying directly through it. That's the direction to go. Uh, and then, okay, then they, they, they give some other directions there. It, that, this commentary doesn't go into the whole, he must needs. They, they basically say, well, he must needs because this is the direct way to go. This commentary basically approaches it this way. He must needs because that's the way you go. <laughs> okay, right? Like, he must needs, right? Like, if I want to go to Ossips in Tuscola, 
I must needs go a certain way to get there, right? Now, of course, I know I could go all the way around, but you get the idea. In other words, to get to certain places, you just must needs go because that's the way to go. So this commentary is basically, he must needs go that way because that's the way to go. That, this commentary doesn't add any like craziness to this, all right? Um, okay, well, then Matthew Henry does his whole thing. I'm not going to do a Matthew, Matthew, never mind Matthew Henry, okay? He does his whole thing. Um, uh, another commentary um, is explained by the position of Samaria. That's another words, he must needs. Um, interposed between Judea and Galilee, only the very sensitive Jews, only the very sensitive Jews went around by Perea. The Galileans were accustomed to go through Samaria on their way to feast at Jerusalem. So typically, and again, they quote from Josephus. Everyone's quoting from Josephus. Josephus makes it clear that what's the direction he would go normally? Right, straight through. There was nothing unique. There was nothing special. He must needs to go because that's the the way to go. Others are like, he must needs because, well, this is a sermon. And I got to make it spiritual. I think he must needs is a reference to possibly what? He knew who wasn't going to follow. Pharisees. Does that, does that ruin the text for you? Does it ruin all the sermons you've heard your entire life? It does, because I've only heard it a million times. I've heard it in missions conferences, evangelism conferences. I've heard it so many times. If you don't believe me, just ha- grab the Edify Christian Podcast app today, Sermons 2.0 app. Just look up John 4 and start listening to every sermon and how they handle he must needs. Because once one person preaches it that way, everyone preaches it that way because it sounds good. Right? I can make this, I can make this morning about what? Evangelism. But you see, here's what I want you to hear. If I make it about evangelism, what am I doing? I'm imposing an idea on the text. I hate sermons. Let's look at the text. So, must needs. Everybody see that? I believe, so what's my hypothesis? I'm not saying I'm dogmatic. That he must needs in order to avoid any confrontation at this time with whom? The Pharisees. And someone who's listening online, they sent me this this morning. This is what they, they sent me. First, they send a definition of the Samaritans. They do a really good job there. All right. And then uh, Jesus, Jews despise the Samaritans. So, say, so saying Jesus went to Samaria to get away from the Pharisees is totally plausible. That's good. See, my listeners are really smart because if they say opposite, I don't let them listen to me anymore. Okay, I'm joking. Jesus removed himself from situations at the time was uh, at the time as the timing was not right for that specific confrontation. And they give some scriptures. Look at John six fifteen. John six fifteen. Now, I have not verified these scriptures, so if he typed them wrong or he has a scripture that we don't understand, we'll just pretend like it's amazing. Everyone will just go, wow. And then we'll just look at each other going, I don't know what he was doing. Okay, no, I'm, jo- I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. All right, all right. I'm going to offend my listeners. Okay, all right. What happens in John 6.15? Oh, what happens? What happens? 
When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he into a mountain. So what's it, this is an example of him doing what? Perceiving a situation and doing what? Getting away from it. Oh, wait, that cannot be possible. That ruins my sermons. Now, how do we typically uh, preach John 6, 15? This is why you need your alone time with God. See, this would turn into a sermon about quiet time and your daily devotional time. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. I, oh, it's so funny how people handle text. But wait, let, let, God, they give us another one. John eight fifty nine. What happens in John eight fifty nine? See, if I keep this up, my listeners can just start writing my sermons for me. Okay. Oh, they get want to kill him. So, so I want to make sure you realize it's not long before Jesus starts having issues with what people want to do with him and for him or to him, right? So it's, it's got to be plausible that in John 4, he's like, I'm trying to avoid this now because it's very early in his ministry. So where is the good way to get away from the conflict? Into Samaria, because they're not going. They're not going. They're like, I'm not going there. Not, that's not it. I'm not, I'm not, nope, not going in there. Can't pay me enough money. Not going there. We'll go to Perea, I think is the right way to say it, and walk around. Now, there could be other scriptures that say this, but I don't think we need to look up more to prove it, right? The point is, there are ex- clear examples, and I don't know if I read that whole scripture. I may have cut myself off, but let's read it. They took up stones to cast at him, and Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. He hid himself. Those are two examples where because of what the crowd was doing and what could possibly happen, he removed himself. So to say that that's not possible in John 4 would be ridiculous. But why does no one want to even consider that as a possibility? Everyone should know the answer. Doesn't preach well. It's kind of boring to come to church and go, oh, Jesus went through Samaria because either one, that's just the typical way Galileans went. Well, that doesn't really preach well. Or Jesus went there because, well, there was an issue possibly developing with the Pharisees, and he knew by going there he'd get us some time, what? Away from them to avoid any possible conflict. And he probably could make all the disciples he wanted in Samaria, and they probably didn't care. Possibly. Because they didn't, because they're like, whatever. Those people are, those people are unclean. You can't fix them, right? They're, 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 they're the untouchables, right? They're, they're like, stay away from them. So I, I know that doesn't preach good, but what I want you to, this is, this is the lesson I'm trying to drive home here. You can't allow sermons to mess up how you read the text. And people fall for that trash all the time, and, I'm not, and i and I got to be just blunt about it. It's so, it's so manipulative when preachers do that. Because I, if, you, if you want a sermon, then what would I have to do right now? I would have to preach that in a way that would be like a sermon. But if we throw out the sermon, then what do we do? We look at the text, and what do we try to figure out? 
what it means. All right, so let's go back to John 4. So that was the first thing I wrote down, he must needs. Go back to John 4. Tell me when you're there. Now, we've kind of already alluded to it. We've kind of already hinted at it. But he must needs go through Samaria. What was the deal with Samaria? Because clearly we've already realized that the, the Pharisees wouldn't even go there. Right? They thought that, we, I don't even want to avoid it. So now if you have your Bible dictionaries, you know what to look up. Samaria. Let's figure out what in the world's going on here. What happened? Now, I know if I was preaching a sermon, I could just rattle off some facts and you could go, wow, he really is smart. You, but, you know, why, why, why should I do that for you, right? Okay, nope, no, <laughs> no, but you're probably thinking, well, the reason is because I come to listen to you, but okay. But, you know, what you should be saying, I come to do what? Study the text. So guess what? We're going to study the text. So what do we find? Look up. Where, who finds the entry for Samaria first? 1117. All right. 1117. And we're, oh, I'm sorry. Did I say it correct? 1116 and 17. All right. It's a, it's a long entry, is it not? It's a very long entry. What, would, what do we, what for our, our purposes, what do we need to try to accomplish? We just want to try to figure out what's going on here that could possibly make some people not to even want to go through it and we can get kind of a basic idea, right? Okay, well, we could we, we have the Samaria, the city of. We have Samaria, the region of, right? We have the Samaritans. Okay. Yes. Okay, so where, where do we think we should look? What do y'all think? You think we should look at city of? All right, Mary is saying we should look at the city of. How many agree? Well, we're gonna, it doesn't matter. We're just going to do it, okay? And then if we disagree, we're like, Mary, that was a bad choice. All right? Everybody ready? Well, well we will come to the Samaritans on 1119. We will look at that. But we're going to go to Samaria, the city of. Does that sound Halfway decent or the region? Which one? We want city or region? Oh, we got re- we got a we got a debate. Second paragraph. Okay. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, I think I see where she's going here. All right. Look at the second paragraph under the entry Samaria city of, right? Because we have, we have a little bit of its history, right? The first paragraph, it was built about 880 BC by whom? Omri, the sixth king of Israel. Samaria occupied a 91 meter, 300 foot high hill, about 60 kilometers or 42, not, not 42 miles north of Jerusalem. 40 kilometers or 25 miles east of the Mediterranean Sea. It gives us some basic information, right? But we do know it's separated from where? It's not it. It's separated from Jerusalem, right? How far? It gives us the distance. But how far from Jerusalem? 42 miles. Just keep that in mind. There's a, it's separated. Just keep that in mind. That's going to play a role here in a little bit, right? Because it's separated and there's, a, there's a, a very important thing takes place here, okay? But, all right, so we have it separated, right? Now, what next paragraph? 
Samaria withstood an attack by Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, 2 Kings 6, uh, 24 through 25. But it finally fell to whom? The Assyrians. Now, we remember what happened. Remember, there was two, we know that the southern kingdom falls to whom? Babylonians. How long is their captivity? Come out. The northern kingdom falls to the Assyria. Never really return in any meaningful way. All right? So we know the Assyrians were an issue, right? So Samaria falls to whom? What year? 722 B.C. And its inhabitants were carried into captivity. The city was repopulated by people from Babylon. Okay? And it names another of other places, right? Do you see all the other places? Right? 2 Kings 17, 24. All bringing their pagan idolatries with them. Oh, here we go. You ready for it? Intermarriage of native Jews with these foreigners led to the mixed race of Samaritans so despised by full-blooded Jews during the time of Jesus. See John chapter 4. Oh, there we go. So this region... Was, had been taken by the Assyrians and it was repopulated by all kinds of different people and different religions and different beliefs and they intermarried. So now the Samaritans are viewed as not pure Jews. So their issues are very much what kind of issues? Racial issues. Right? You're not a pure Jew. You're a half Jew. You're mixed. So guess what? Somehow you don't count. You're less than. Now this has happened in lots of ways, even in in, in society, right? We can talk all the different ways. And it can be really messed up how that can go down. Because sometimes you can feel like isolated because neither quote-unquote group, neither quote-unquote, pure group will acknowledge you. I mean, it's really messed up the way it works. It blows my mind how people can think, and I I don't get it. I don't understand it. But this is just, well, I do understand it from this perspective. Once again, it just demonstrates whether you're religious or not religious, what are you still? A sinner. And guess what sin produces? Sinful actions and thinking that is horrible treats people less than human, it's, it's ugh, just don't even get me started. But we see it there. Even, even amongst, quote unquote, God's people. God's people. They got the right temple. Right? They got the priest. They got the sacrificial system. They've got everything. But what are they? Bigoted, prejudiced, racist. Okay, that's a good way to put it. They're going to looking down on someone simply because... They're not pure. Isn't that kind of messed up? On one way, on, on one way, it's messed up. On the other way, it makes you feel a little bit better, right? Meaning, it makes you feel a little bit better because that's what humans have been doing forever. It's nothing new to any, any particular, every, every society has a history of what? Some messed up behavior. And typically, one, per, one group of people are demonized by another. Germany, demonized. 
The Jews. And then you can go to all kinds of other societies where this group gets demonized. This group gets treated as less than human. Right? The Jews were viewed as less than human. Slaves that were taken from Africa were viewed as less than human. I mean, you can go on and on and on and on. In all kinds of cultures, it's ha- it happened over and over and over. Some of the native tribes in America were viewed as Less than human, as not being pure. And so they could be treated in the way they wanted, right? That, that, this is the kind of thing. It, and it kind of messed up that this is the way it went down. I mean, that, well, I mean, I mean I, that just, it, it makes me angry. That makes me angry. And it makes me angry that Jesus knew that he could just go right there and guess who wouldn't follow? The Pharisees. Because they were too pure. It's kind of messed up, is it not? All right. Now, go to uh, page 1119. And, and I, I would challenge those listening online for your, uh, because for your homework, I would challenge you to get a good Bible dictionary and look up everything it has to say about Samaria, the city, Samaria, the region, and uh, the Samaritans. Samaritans are natives of inhabitants of Samaria, a distinct territory or region of central Canaan. Until the rise of Assyrian power in the ancient Near East, Samaria was occupied by the tribes of Ephraim and the western portion of the tribe of Manasseh. Many of the sites in Samaria held important places in Israel history. Do you see the first one? Mount Gerizim. Everybody see that? You may want to write that down. Mount Gerizim. And Mount Ebal were the scenes of the covenant renewal ceremony in Joshua's time. Shechem, situated near Mount Gerizim, was an ancient Canaanite town that regained its early prosperity during the monarchy. It became the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, briefly under Jeroboam I. And then you can can go on and see all the things that happened here. I don't want to read everything. Um, so if you, if you kind of skip down a couple of paragraphs, it says, so the Samaritans were a mixed race, contaminated by foreign blood and false worship. The Jewish historian Josephus indicates that the Samaritans were also opportunist. When the Jews enjoyed prosperity, the Samaritans were quick to acknowledge their blood relationship. But when the Jews suffered hard times, the Samaritans disowned any such kinship, declaring that they were descendants of Assyrian immigrants. That's kind of funny, Right? Because that's, isn't that what we would do? Hey, cousin, I hear you just won the lottery. Wait, cousin, the cops are after you. I don't have a clue who you are. Right? Once again, what does it demonstrate? Just sin and the, and the same, the kind of ways that we always go through. All right? Now, um, well, there's more we could read here, but you get the idea. Now go back to John 4. Uh, you may, someone look up, since they have the dictionary, someone look up and see if there's an entry for Mount Gerizim. Okay, see if there's a, a, an entry for Mount Gerizim. We won't look at it now. If there is an entry, just keep it marked in, in the page. All right, we're going to run out of time. We're, we're making it really far. Okay, 
If you see Mount Gerizim, let me know. There is an entry? Okay, good. Just keep, we'll look at it in just a second. Okay, all right. All right, here we go. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to John 4, and we're going we're gonna to at least try to get to a little bit here because there's, there's an important phrase coming up. All right, here we go. John 4, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea, departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. I think we've done a pretty good job helping us get a, an idea of maybe what's actually going on there. Agreed? Okay, verse five, then he cometh he to a city of Samaria. All right, now we've, we've dealt with the Samaritans in Samaria. What's the best, best way to understand why there's such animosity and hatred? Because they're viewed as a mixed race and there's conflict and, and you could even argue that according to Josephus, the Samaritans were opportunists that sometimes would act like they were related, but sometimes not, but the Jews also hated them. There was just major issues here. Right, but a city of Samaria, which is called Sakar, the famous Sakar is associated with Jesus' conversation with the woman who came there to draw water. Her conversation and the conversion of many of the Samaritans during his two days in the area. Many scholars identify Sakar with ancient Shechem, Jacob's well, one of the best attested sites in Palestine, is situated on the eastern edge of the valley that, that separates Mount Gerizim from Mount Ebal. All right, now just so that you know. Sakar, you can't, when nobody knows where it is today, it's gone, nobody has a clue. They associate it with Shechem. But if you do not know of all the holy places, all the supposed sacred places in the Holy Land, of all the places you go to, because if you've, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you've ever been to any of those places, they always say, this is where so-and-so happened. But in many cases where so-and-so supposedly happened, someone else can say, no, 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 it was actually here. And typically, which one wins? Which one is the biggest tourist attraction? And then everybody's like, oh, this is where it happened. But sometimes we don't know. But everyone seems to be 100% sure that the most attested to site in all of the Holy Land it's Jacob's well. And you can go see it. And it's located, if you've listened to the podcast, you know this, it's, lo- well, she- uh, it's located in that area, but it's located inside a church that was built in 380 AD. And it's, oh, it's controlled by the Greek Orthodox. I talked about it yesterday. Uh, on, on the podcast. I won't go into all the details, but it's, yeah, it's there today. And it's like, that's the well. That's the well. And most everyone is pretty, most because they know it's of ancient origin. And here's one good thing, you know, you can't move a well. Okay? You, can't, you can't move a well. And there's pictures of it. And well, we won't get into all of that. All right. So that, now we kind of know a little bit about Sakar Near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph, now, verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. All right, now. If you don't know this, in history, 
Well, there, I want to talk about Jacob's well, but we don't have time to do that. We don't have time to do that. I'll just give you a little history. I, I'm, I don't want to repeat too much what I've done on the podcast because the people who listen to the podcast will be like, we already know all of this. But I have to mention to this because I, have, I feel like a lot of you don't know what I'm about to say. If you don't know, this woman in church history was given a name. She was given a name. You want me to spell her name? P-H- O-T-I-N-I. P-H-O-T-I-N-I. Now there's debates depending on who you listen to and how to actually say her name. I say Fotini. Sometimes I will say Fotini, but Fotini seems to be the best way. Uh, Some say Fotini. I say Fotini, that's what I'm going with because I'm in Texas and we're right, however we say whatever, okay. But it's Fotini. They've given her a name. And if you're in Greek, if, you're, if you know someone who goes to a Greek Orthodox church today, you may want to ask them, so what did you learn about St. Fotini? And they'll be like, how did you know that today is the feast day for St. Fotini? Because you go to a really smart church where you learn very important church history information, all right? So... Do what? Well, th- there's, there's an interesting story about, well, not, not really, because they, make, they declare people to be saints just like the Roman Catholic Church declares people to be saints. So they have their, their, their patron, patron saints, and so St. Fotini is it's a very important day. Now, if you don't know the story about her, supposedly the way it works in church history, this is the claim, that she got baptized. In fact, I'll just read, read to you exactly what the claim is. St. Fotini lived in first century Palestine, and was the woman that Christ met at Jacob's well in Samaria, as recorded in the Gospel according to John. After her encounter with Christ, she and her whole family were baptized by the apostles and became evangelists of the early church. Fotini and her children eventually were summoned before the emperor Nero and instructed to renounce their faith in Christ. They refused to do so, accepting rather to suffer various tortures. After many efforts to force her to surrender to idolatry, the emperor ordered that she be thrown down a well. Fotini gave up her life in the year 66 AD. So, what is one of my listeners sent this statement to me that was rather profound. She met Jesus at a well and she died for Jesus in a well. Now, we don't know for sure if this is verifiable history, but if it's accurate, that's, that's who this woman, her name became, that, that was called Fotini. Now, again, I cannot verify this, but I want you at least to know the history. Today in Greek Orthodox churches, it is that feast day, and so their homilies will be about St. Fotini today. Yeah, today. Today is the feast day. So it just fit perfectly that that's the time we're covering this. All right? So, now there's, there's the woman's name. There's the woman's name. So, let's do this. Uh, we're going to... Uh, I wanted to get to Mount Gerizim, but that's okay. Um, uh, well, well, we will do this. I'll skip down a little bit. I, I, I would like, and for those listening online, know what they're supposed to do. I need, I need everyone who's participating in the Bible study exercise to look up everything you can about Jacob's well just to see if there's something significant that this event happens at Jacob's well. Right? I would like to do a little bit of work on that, but is there an entry in the Bible dictionary for Jacob's well? I doubt there is, but just tell me if there is. 
oh, I, wanted to, I wanted to do some cross-referencing, but we don't have time. Because some weird reason people think church can only be so long. That's a joke, everyone. I'm, Oh, we have an entry for Jacob's well. All right. Two sentences. Okay, well, let's at least look at it. I, I doubt it's going to give us any major significance, but what page? What is it? 629. All right, 629. 629. I wanted, oh, I wanted to do much more work on, on the well, but okay. Six two nine. Jacob's well. The well where Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman. The well... Is not mentioned. Oh, this is interesting. The well is not mentioned in the Old Testament. Huh, that's interesting. And it's located near ancient Shechem. There you go. That is interesting. Okay. So, if it's not mentioned, then either we don't, we, we don't have anything. In other words, there may not be anything that would do what? To make it like, oh, there's something... It's, it's, isn't it amazing that it happened here, right? So it may not be anything to that. All right, so now let's go back to John 4, and let's try to wrap this up, all right? Keep your, if you have Mount Gerizim, well, we will try to get to that really quick. I wanted to just make sure that there's no, because some people, I've heard sermons where they try to make a big deal. It was at Jacob's well. And I've heard claims that this happened at Jacob's well. So I was going to try to test that theory, but... We, we, we'll see if we need to come back to it this week. All right, here we go. Let's go start back in verse 1. When, the, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. We, we think we now understand why that happened, right? Okay. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria. We know what the issue is, why some wouldn't go through to Samaria, right? Which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, set thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Now let's just, the sixth hour. Someone figure out when was the sixth hour. You can, you can use anything. You can use your study Bible. You can use commentary. What, when was the sixth hour? The sixth hour, if I should say it correctly. The sixth hour in the Bible. When was the sixth hour in the Bible? Are you doing a Google search there, Emma? Emma's over there. Okay. When was the sixth hour? If you have a study Bible, it may say in your notes. Noon! All right, noon! Now, is there any significance to this? What do you think? Oddest part of the day. Yeah, most would think she would come in the morning. Right? Get the water now. Well, I, I think typically the, men, the women got the water for the men. Okay, all right, because, I mean, you know, why do I need to get water if I got a woman to go get it, right? Okay, I mean, obviously, I mean, let's, let's just be honest. In that culture, I mean, nobody may like it, but it, put it this way, it wasn't 2023, Right? It wasn't 2023. Whether we like it or not, it's just the reality. Of, the women were very much treated as property. They were treated as property. That's how come in the, in the, in the Ten Commandments, I heard this yesterday in a sermon, I think they made a good point. And covet, 
It tells you not to covet, and it names all these things not to covet. And all the things it says not to covet are pieces of property. And then it says, nor your neighbor's wife, <laughs> because she's a piece of property. I hate to say that. That's just, it's, that's the way it was, okay? So the, the, I think the women typically would get the water in the morning and for the day, and not have to go there at noon because you don't want to go there in the heat of the day because it's hot and you got to carry it. And it's probably, I would probably be smart to do it in the morning, right? Makes sense? That's how most perceive this. So then some would raise the question, why is she coming in the middle of the day? And she seems to be coming alone. Does the text seem to imply she's coming alone? Why do you think she's coming alone? Oh, okay, now that, this is where we're going to get, that's where a lot of people go, that there is something about her, now, there's a lot of ways to understand, well, we'll have to, we won't be able to get to it to, right now, but there's a lot of ways of understanding, what, I, I did a whole review of a sermon yesterday about this, so you can go listen to it, but the implication a lot of people have is, she's not well liked, she's kind of like, You know who she, who she is. You know we know what she's up to, right? Because we do know this. We, I, we do know the text is going to say she had five husbands. Now, some people immediately assume because she got divorced five times. We don't know for sure because the text doesn't say that. She all five of her husbands could have died, right? That's at least possible, right? And the sermon that I listened to yesterday pointed this out. But we do know that the person she's currently with. It's not her husband. So that would at least cause some scandal at this time. So it seems that possibly she's an outcast and she comes in the middle of the day, right? And she's alone, right? Which may kind of give some idea of what's going on. But here we go. Just, and I'll just re- read this quickly because I want you to have at least this. Jesus obviously asks her for water and then she's like, uh, wait a minute, why are you talking to me, Right? Because we have no dealings, and we know why. Jews and Samaritans don't talk. Jews and Samaritans would, like, even if you're going to walk through the area, you weren't going to stop to talk to them. Does that make sense? And then we know they have this back and forth, right? And then she makes this statement. Look at verse 21. We don't have time to get all the way into this. And I know I'd like to do this in better order, but I want you to at least walk away understanding this. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. What mountain is he referring to? Mount Gerizim. Now look at your entry for Mount Gerizim really quick. And what does it say about Mount Gerizim? And we're going to have to stop. Okay. What else? Say anything about a temple? Does the entry not say anything about a temple? Okay. Yeah, well, if, uh, if you don't know, the Samaritans built a temple at Mount Gerizim believing that that's the place God told them to worship where the Jews built the temple 
and Jerusalem. So Jesus is saying, she makes, wait a minute, which mountain should we worship? And so I want you to understand that there was a divide, not only of their race, there was a divide also of their religion, and not only that place where you should worship God. The Samaritans were like, Mount Gerizim is where you should be worshiping God. And the Jews were like, no, it has to be in Jerusalem. Right. And so... Right. Right. So, so there was a divide right there. So here's what I want us to do. We'll end with this. All right. Everybody got that? So everybody at least understand that? There was a divide there? That's why she mentions the two temples, right? Or the temples. Right, exactly. So, so if we have at least an understanding of how that all went down, all right? Now, what can we take away from this? This is what I want you to take away. First, I want you to see that when we actually look at the text, it's far different than the way a sermon would be preached. Yes? All right? Because we actually did what? We let the text determine. So, what do we have? We have Jesus who is making disciples and we, there seems to be at least the Pharisees have taken notice. And immediately after it seems to say they take notice, Jesus immediately does what? Leaves. Now, he leaves and it would make sense for him just to go where? Through Samaria, which is where the Galileans typically did anyway. Right? But... It says he must needs. He must needs either because that's just the route he was going to take or he must needs because he was trying to get away from the Pharisees, which we have other passages where he did similar things. Yes? So that, that kind of destroys the whole mystical way that we try to turn this into. But he gets there, right? When he gets there, he shows up at Jacob's well, right? Sychar, Shechem. He's there and he meets the woman. And this woman's name is what in church history? Fotini, right? And that Fotini is, uh, was considered a saint by the Greek Orthodox. Today is her feast day. And, many, and according to some sources, she was persecuted under Nero and thrown down a well. But ultimately, she's going to have this encounter with Jesus. There's far more there I would like to get to, but we can't get to. But I could either have given you a sermon, or you can have now a better understanding of the text. That's good. All right, I hope so. So I wanted to spend two hours on this today, Sunday school and Sunday morning, but we had to do Tertullian. So. And I would like to do this tonight, but we have to do Tertullian. So what do we need? We need more church services. That's what we need. Okay, all right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. Lord, I hope that we learn to appreciate what the text says versus what people say about the text. And I hope that for the rest of this week, As we spend time in John 4, we've got a good foundation now on some of these very important facts. And we understand the conflict and the racial divide at the time and exactly what was happening. And that we look at it from that perspective and not the perspective of just a good sermon. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...